Welcome to Barn Banter by Horse Illustrated, a podcast with something for all horse lovers. I'm Raquel Lynn from Los Angeles. You might know me from my blogs, Horses and Heels, or Stable Style. And I'm Susan Friedland from Saddle Seeks Horse. Raquel and I grew up reading Horse Illustrated magazine and riding as much as possible. Today, we both write for the magazine and are friends in real life. Join us each month as we do one of our favorite things, talk about horses and the horse lifestyle. Today, we are chatting with saddle fitting expert, Johan Schleza. Spring is always a good time to reevaluate your saddle fit. Then we catch up with Jack Ballou, a Horse Illustrated contributor and clinician who has written several how-to books to empower riders to help their horses use their bodies comfortably and confidently. Finally, we get to know Lauren, this month's adoptable horse. Hey, Susan, happy April. Thanks, Raquel. I saw that you went to the beach with you with Fira recently? Yeah, so we took a nice little beach trip last month, which is the benefit of obviously living in California. Um, it was a beautiful day and I went and I met a friend. It was kind of last minute, which was, it was nice. Um, it's so interesting though, because I've got to tell you, I love going to the beach and Fira is always like, she's great. I can pull her off the trailer and get on her and she's just dependable and fantastic. But the thing that gives me anxiety is trailering her to the beach. Um, It's about an hour and a half drive to the nearest uh, horse beach for us, if you will. Um, And I always get so nervous in LA traffic pulling the trailer And I can't be the only one who feels this anxiety, right? Well, LA traffic is not for the faint of heart. And I didn't enjoy it myself. Um, I had an hour and a half commute in LA traffic to go to my barn to see night. But um, I can't imagine pulling a trailer because it's pretty gnarly just in a SUV. Yeah. I mean, what's so it's an easy drive, actually. And if you're familiar with the Los Angeles landscape, you're basically taking the 101 the entire time. Um, So it's basically one highway the entire way. But that highway, you know, changes the lanes. And I remember at one point when I was on my way back home, counting the lanes and there were six of them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I am in six lanes of traffic right now. And that's six um, lanes, one direction, right? Yes. That's in my direction. Yeah. Um. So that's just so many. And, you know, I'm always really good about giving myself that space in front of me. Um. But there were, and there always are a couple of times where I have to hit the brakes and I always feel Bad for Fira because that scares probably the crap out of both of us, more so her than me. Um, But, you know, there's always that one person that thinks that they're going to cut you off or or take your space. Um, So, yeah, pulling a horse trailer in the city is it's not for the faint of heart. But other than that, it was an amazing trip. And I'm always thankful when I make it there safe and sound. Okay, so you just triggered a memory <laughs> that I'm cracking up over. So Holly, our editor, 
the editor, of course, illustrated, gave me <laughs> a lesson in how to pull a horse trailer in her truck when she was like eight months pregnant. She is a saint. <laughs> And I just remember she said, by the way, I did not do a good job, but at the time I was thinking, oh, you know, I should get a truck and trailer and I still might. But anyway, her words were just drive like a grandma. You'll be fine. (laughs) And I said, oh, that's how I drive anyway. She's like, oh, you'll have no problem. But it was the backing up that just blew my mind. And we were in a vacant parking lot, uh, no cars there. And I just, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't get it. You get used to it. And, you know, it's a skill that you need, especially in my area, because I have, you know, narrow alleys and things and cars that I have to get around. And, you know, out in the country, you can just make a giant turn and it's fine. So you can, I feel like you can get away with not knowing how to back up or maybe being not as great of a driver. But in the city, there are so many times where, I'm turning down my street and there are cars parked on both sides. So I really have to drive slowly like a grandma. And I have to think about those turns um, because otherwise, yeah, you could hit somebody's Tesla and we don't want that to happen. And Raquel, you know what? I know we have such talented people who listen to this podcast. I just had an idea for a video game. So there used (laughs) to be this game. I don't know if it's still around. I'm terrible at video games, but um, there was a game called crazy taxi or something to that effect. And my nephew had it when he was a little boy, he's going to be 30 this year. And I played it. And I just remember I was driving the taxi and like hitting pedestrians. I wasn't intentionally hitting pedestrians, (laughs) but it was pretty hilarious. So someone should make a video game. That's like a simulator that teaches you how to drive a horse trailer through various terrain, various types of traffic, how to back up. That's our million dollar idea. Yeah. That's I, unfortunately, great. I don't know how to do anything tech related like that, but maybe someone listening does. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, that's great. So enough about me. Um, tell me, what are you writing and what are you working on for Horse Illustrated? I know you just had an article come out. I did. Yeah. So if you look at the April issue, there is an article about going to the Irish National Stud, which is in Ireland, obviously. And speaking of video games, um, so I was there last year with some girlfriends and they have this thing called the Irish Racehorse Experience. And it was hilarious and so much fun. So basically, it was a simulation and believe it or not, uh, the Irish racehorse experience won some major award that like uh, Disney type um, amusement parks, I guess it's like an Academy award of rides and simulations. So they won this um, fancy award and I can see why, because you walk in and it's a learning experience, but then also you get to air quote, buy a racehorse at an auction. And then they give you a certain amount of money that you can spend on your horse to pamper it and train it. (laughs) And then the culmination is you get to ride a racehorse. So it's not a real horse, but it's this simulator. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's a huge screen in front of you and they have all the pageantry. And so my friends and I were all lined up on our racehorses and, um, 
And then once the race starts, the simulator moves. So you feel like you're on a galloping horse and it's so exciting. And um, my horse came in dead last, but it was so much fun. And then it's one of the, you know how like you go to amusement parks and they have the video of you or the photograph of you on the ride and your face is always contorted. You look ridiculous. So they had one of those of us riding and, um, for being a middle-aged woman, I think I had way too much fun. (laughs) It was just, it was really quite an experience. So, uh, note to listeners, if you go to Ireland, check out the Irish national stud. And if you're not going to check out page 22 in the April issue and read all about it. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely some good reading. And now that it's April, I know a lot of people are getting back into riding and getting their horses back in shape. So we have two amazing guests today, and we're going to be kind of talking about saddle fit and just uh, exercises to get your horse in shape. So um, I'm really excited about that. And let's get to it. German certified master saddler and saddle ergonomist, Johann Schlesi received his initial training in saddle making from Passier and Son in Germany. In 1984, he was certified as the youngest master saddler ever in Europe and was asked to come to North America from Germany in 1986 to be the official saddler for the World Dressage Championships held in Toronto. Johann confers regularly with industry professionals and is a guest speaker at Equine Veterinary School's riding instructor conferences, and teaches equine ergonomics on five continents through Saddle Fit for Life, founded in 2006 as a global network of equine professionals dedicated to the comfort and protection of the horse. Hi, Johan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I think our chat is so timely right now because it's the beginning of show season for so many people. And, um, you know, a lot of people are starting to get their horses out after a long winter um, of maybe not riding so much. And that kind of brings me into my first question, which is how often should riders evaluate their saddle fit? Riders should evaluate their saddle fit every time they put the saddle on. And when people listen to this, says, oh, my God, this is getting out of hand. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in reality, we kind of do it without even knowing. You know, when, when I girth up my saddle and I see, oh, these billets are stretched uneven, or my God, this billet is cracked, somehow I already see it. But with billets, they are slowly getting bad. But with saddle fit, what could affect the horse? That could literally go from one day to the next. There's a lot of wood, steel, carbon fiber, certain plastic trees, certain uh, flex trees. And this material can give out in the nick of time, just like that bang. So one day is good. And the other day, you all of a sudden see on the bottom of the saddle, there's a piece of metal sticking out because the spring seal broke. Okay, And this could be just a material fluke. and subconsciously we're all checking our saddles every time I put the saddle on the horse. If there's something poking me in my hand, hopefully I'm not ignoring it. Right. <laughs> Don't put it on my horse. So always check you have still the sufficient amount of wither clearance. Then I recommend that you have a professional check it at least twice a year. Depends how old your horse is. You know, in the first growing spurt, the horse has 32 growth plates. And their spine alone, and they're developing their six and a half. So 
If you have a young horse, be more carefully in that stage. And when the horse is 15, there's a lot of changes again. The body gets faster, older, just like us. <laughs> right. So if you ask um, people who invent measuring devices, such as today, you can use your cell phone and take a 3D picture of your horse's back with it's a laser. And you can really see to the 16 of an inch any change in the muscles. So hand tools, what saddle fitters use or, or veterinarians or body workers who measure the back with the original tools, they claim you can see a horse in training have muscle changes up to four weeks. As a rider, I go, oh my God, does it need to have my saddle outfit every four weeks? No, check when you put the saddle on. Are the billets still good? No steel is sticking out. The saddle is not sitting on the spine, on the withers. Have it checked tw uh, twice a year because there's allowance for muscles to change. Right. Now, you talked about it a little bit, but what would you say is you know, some, some red flags, because for some people they are putting their saddle on and they think that their saddle fits, you know, and they think that their saddle looks good. Um, and for maybe those people that think everything is normal and good, what, what are just some things that we should really pay close attention to? Um, I think it starts off with when you, when you look at your saddle and you pay attention to the little things, they're hard to they're easy to ignore. The mm -hmm. big problems you can avoid very easy and it doesn't cost you so much. Unfortunately, just like with us humans, if we drink a lot of water, we save a lot of problems. But we like to grab an Advil or a headache pill rather than like this is just a little example of saying, hey, if I dehydrate, hydrate myself, <laughs> maybe don't have so many headaches. This is just a little right. Like it, right? it's much easier to take a pill. So with saddles, what are the big signs? Well, yeah, um, they are obvious. You know, it sits on the withers, dry spots, white hair, but that's way too late. Look for the signs such as you girth up the horse and all of a sudden he's turning around and looks at you. And that look becomes into a bite. The look comes to into a, he's avoiding you or he's swishing like with his tail crazy. And he says, what's going on? Because I didn't charge. I didn't increase my training. I didn't change anything. It's the same pad. It's clean, same good. Why is he getting so pissy? Well, something obviously changed. As I said earlier, muscle growth can happen relatively fast. So that's the sign. Another sign is then all of a sudden he refuses. He, uh, he doesn't jump as clean. He doesn't push off as hard. He starts to, um, if it's a jumping horse, you all of a sudden say why is he stumbling so much sure you can also see that on the dressage horse or on a pleasure horse if you're a happy hacker and you don't say oh i don't want to be going into competition <laughs> i don't need to worry so much well that horse still has changes and these changes does not adapt automatic to the saddle or vice versa so this the the signs i i always like to say read the horse's facial expression when the ear goes back, when the white comes out, don't wait for the teeth. Right? They, they, they're, they have their body language. And for all you listeners who grew up with horses, you know what I mean. But we also, right. there's a lot of baby boomers who finally have the time and the money to ride and do with their kids' dream. 
and they might not have that horsemanship, have all right. the desire, but they're not seeing the saddle signs. So for all of you folks who listen, listen to your horse, watch the uneven behavior. When there's, when you ride behind your friend or the friend rides behind you and then says, hey, Susie, your horse looks really cute from behind, but what I noticed, he didn't do it yesterday, his tail is really hanging to the left. All of a sudden, his tail hanging to the left. You didn't have an accident, the horse didn't get cast, why is all of a sudden the horse going so crooked in the tail? And there's another simple ways, all of a sudden you're fighting with your lead chains. Simple lead chain. Or he doesn't want to pick up the right lead canter. Very often it's the right lead canter. It starts to shine the first sign, just like humans who have their appendix on the right side. Horses have their appendix on the right side. Just like humans, you're dominant on one side more than the other. Right. And when we get bigger and the one side gets more restricted, we show it in the aids, like asking for a good lead change or asking even to a right decanter. So that's a common thing. Um, the um, saddle size smaller than that is um, your saddle pad starts to slip out. You know, it didn't slip out. Why is my saddle pad slipping out? Or you start all of a sudden go crooked. You sit crooked in the saddle. Says, what is going on? My stirrup bladders, you have already half holes. You're punching more holes in your stirrup bladders. You check your stirrup bladders. They're not stretched. They're not uneven. But when I ride, every single person, my judge, my friend, I see it on the video, my right stirrup bladder is longer mm. or the left. Most of the time, the right. So, these are subtle signs. The big signs, as I said, are obvious. Right. right. And the subtle signs is the pad, slippage of your saddle, and if your horse starts to run out of gas. A good example is we all have funny bones. There's a little part on your elbow when you hit it. I don't know why you call it funny bone, but without right. a lot of pressure, you can feel that zinging all the way to the pinky. Underneath the D-ring, on every saddle, on every horse, is a point on the horse's body called BL13, the bladder meridian point. And if the saddle slides forward, some saddles slide back, some saddle go crooked. But if the fit doesn't fit anymore properly because the horse change in the muscular, that point gets all of a sudden more pressure than it can handle. I'll give you an example. If you squish a grape, you don't need a lot of pressure. You can easily squish a brake with your two fingers. That's amount of pressure. When you do that on that point, which is underneath the D-ring on every saddle, or if you have a Western saddle under the first concho, that point, the horse's heart rate goes, and you haven't even got off the mounting block. The horse already has an increased heart rate. So how can you measure it? We have gait analysis. Sorry, we have heart monitors. And... We have in certain, like if you're an endurance rider, you ride with them all the time. And right. you, you can tell, why is my horse huffing and puffing so much? Why is he not getting better condition? He gets less condition. So as I said before, they start to refuse. They're running out of gas. So what does it mean in addition, rather than the horse not willing to canter, going off your leg easy, hanging on your rein? What, what additional could you run into it? If you keep putting too much pressure on that BL13 or in short in uh, layman's term, the lung meridian point, you know, you have an acupuncture, certain points. 
and that affects the lung. So if your horse without exercise hasn't even trod it, but his heartbeat is already up, that develops a higher level of cortisol. And as humans, we know when my blood shows higher level of cortisol, that's how I measure if we are stressed or not. What will happen to animals, especially flight animals, when they're stressed? You run into more ulcers, in colics, all stuff, but can be avoided from the saddle. Now, when I heard the story the first time, I said, oh my God, here we go again. Blame the poor saddle fitter. Blame the saddle. Always finger point. But when it was explained from a holistic veterinarian who does Eastern and Western medicine, and he says, listen, you have a funny bone, and you would jerk around your arm and you want to avoid that pressure. The horse can't get away. We control that animal, sometimes harder than we like to, <laughs> but it tries to get away from that pinching. And the, the physiology is what it is. So when that pressure will happen, the horse goes in unnecessary stress and you use more leg and says, oh, okay, I pay all this money for the lesson. I got this expensive saddle. And it could be just a saddle feeling. Right. No, I mean, well, it's great that uh, that was one of my questions that I was going to ask you about um, when you talk about the saddle being too far forward, because as an observer, and I don't know if Susan, if you would agree, but a lot of times, you know, on Instagram or just browsing social media, looking at friends or people's photos, I do think some of, and I'm a Western writer, um, and I think maybe Western writers are more guilty than English writers, but a lot of times I will notice some of the saddles are a little too far forward. And I think that is a tendency to, you know, pull them up a lot farther on the withers and you do want them, you know, like you said, sitting back in that better place. So what could you kind of like help us visualize um, where the correct saddle placement should be? Mm -hmm. So there is a huge controversy in saddle fitting schools. So I'm going to answer this first, but I also think your timing is very good with the interview <laughs> question because this controversy is right now on internet. Huh? Okay. <laughs> One saddle fitting school measures the uh, horse's back where the tree should sit. That is three inches behind the shoulder. Others two centimeter and one person directly behind the shoulder. Where should the back be measured so then when the customer orders the saddle or buys the saddle or the saddle gets fitted where should it go well if you look at any saddle in the world western or english they have all one thing in common unless it's a bareback pad which they renamed treeless saddle but let's talk right. about, about what the real saddle not a bareback pad so they have a frame inside which we call the saddle tree. Human and horses have a frame, we call it the skeleton. So the skeleton of every saddle has two distinct marks. They have two noses, we call them tree points, the front of the saddle. And they will always adjust itself. It doesn't matter where you put it, if you put it way on front or way back, they adjust itself in that little nook, in that area behind the shoulder. Without those tree points, the saddle would slide forward over the shoulder. Now, why is that? Well, give you an analogy. Visualize the fruit, a pear. And if you put that pear, not standing up, lay it sideways, okay? And then you have a string, a cotton string. 
and you want to tighten that cotton string around the pair, where you think that cotton string goes? Towards the narrow spot, right? right? That's where the girth goes. That's where the saddle goes. If you look at the horse from the top, where the saddle sit, it looks like a pair. You know, it has wide ribs and goes narrow to the front. And then stick out the shoulder blades. And these shoulder blades move up and down and back and forth. And that's where that lung meridian point is. On the bottom, you got the elbow, the girth groove. Without the elbows, without the shoulder blade, it's like a cotton string around a pair. It just goes forward. On top of it, the animal, the horse, has his neck with all animals and humans. They have this S curve. But opposite to a giraffe, the animal eats from the ground. So when the neck is straight down, the food intake goes up towards the guts, and the spine is lower in the front than in the back. So the top of the ribcage where the saddle sits, it's downhill. And as B, as Rod has been preached since 2,500 years ago, when Xenophon put that in writing, how do we ride the horse off the forehand. We want to train the horse to lift the ribcage. The majority of the saddle sits on top of the ribcage where they're being built, and they want to slide forward. Are you with me so far? Yes. Okay. So answer your question now. I'm sorry I had to <laughs> make that answer so long, but I wanted you to, to visualize the pair first, and I wanted you to understand everything goes to this normal spot. So when we girth up a saddle, it goes to the girth groove. All right. So when saddles, Western or English saddles are designed, they're meant to sit behind the shoulder. Now on the Western saddle, they have the front flare, and in the back, the back flare. They're not meant to carry weight. When I was in England, I made a parade saddle. I was working there for several months. And a parade saddle is visualized a massive big drum, and it was hanging on the front flare. So the front flare was mm, 10 inches. Right? It was really, really long. The drum was attached, but the drum never pushed against the shoulder or the neck of the horse. It lifted away, and that's how the front flare of the Western saddle is supposed to fit. So putting the saddle way too far back is another problem, which is a chain reaction. Now the rider sits behind the saddle, a speed spot. No bareback rider, or we all, most of us, have ridden on a horse or sat on the horse without a saddle, bareback, and there's a certain spot you like to sit when the horse does walk toward canter. If you don't, you bounce around like a ping pong ball on a ping pong paddle, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at rodeo rider, bullfighters, they sit at the base of the withers, where the sweet spot for the rider and for the horses to align their two gravity center gravities. So the the old soldier way is you go to the end of the main. Mm -hmm. You go and make a mark, dig your finger, make it wet, go against the hairline, take a piece of chalk, whatever, or keep the finger at the end of the main in your hands. Then you put the saddle on, put it on the shoulder and slide it into that pocket behind the shoulder. A good reference point, the concho, the first concho on the Western saddle should be in line with the end of the main. Western saddle, sorry, English saddle, doesn't matter if it's a racing saddle, a jumping saddle, a venting, dressage, or, or endurance saddle, most of the time they have a D-ring. 
And that D-ring is in front of the metal bracket we call gullet plate. That D-ring has to be in line at the end of the mane. Then you know you put the saddle where the tree was meant to build. When tree makers make saddles, they always know, ah, that tree will look for that little pocket. Let's call it pocket. We could say shoulder holes. Some horses are roly-poly. They're more looking like a sausage. Right. <laughs> yeah. don't have that pocket. Okay, And then in the back, you ever see in a horse in the rain and you look on the side and the flank, you see how their hair comes together. They call it, the nickname is a rain line. So if you say, well, I live in Arizona, never rains here. Well, then take a bucket of water, put it over the flank, and you will see how the water runs down that one line. Because off the flank, the hair goes forward. And from the side, the hair goes backwards. And they meet, and they go straight down. This rain line they used for many, many, many years. And they says the end of the mane and where the rain line is, that's the top of the ribs where the saddles is built. Western saddles, they are longer in the back. Half skirt, double skirt, round skirt, square skirts. The back of that rain line, that's the back flare. And you don't want it to, you can put a football underneath. But you also want to have a little space so when you put your kitchen on there or your backpacks, your tent, whatever you carry, when you go from A to B to drive your cattle from here to there, okay, that was not meant to sit on the lumbar area. So to answer the question, look for the end of the mane. The first concha goes there or the D-ring. And the saddle should not exude pressure or contact past the rein line. That's great. Well, I think you have given us some amazing information for everyone who is listening just to, to think about, because the whole time you're talking, I'm just visualizing my horse and just thinking of all this stuff. And this is this is great. Um, and I know we could talk to you for hours, um, but maybe maybe we'll have you on for an, another time. Um, but this is a great start. And um, for listeners who want to find you online and maybe talk to you and learn about what um, you do, what are your links and what are, where can they find you? Well, um, I have two business, one who manufactures saddles, and we do that in Europe and in North America, and uh, just like my name, .com, so it's Schleser, S-C-H-L-E-E-S-E.com. And then you can choose if you want to go to the European division or the North American division. And then just info at schleser.com. You can email us and we will help you. Um, because we have um, now been established on five continents and we do it pretty much uh, extensively in the um, English sector. But I was approached by uh, many trainers in the eventing, sorry, in the racing and in the Western world. And this is, I read your book, Suffering and Silence, which is also a textbook in many universities for equine studies. They says your passion and your calling, you call it your calling in life, is to help all horse and riders to protect them from long-term damage caused by ill-fitting sounds. How dare you only do English? Okay, you not to Western. So we decided, and this is now over almost two decades, to go into racing industry and Western industry. And as a Western rider, you know yourself. Um, we see now not your average 
cowboy anymore and your average quarter horses. Right. I have many, many, many of our clients who used to write forever English. And they said, you know what? I'm done with the show circuit. I want to have peace and quiet. I want to ride hack. I want to something more secure. And they switch to Western. Many people switching slowly more to Western. But they demand that the saddle can be adjusted in the bars on the bottom of the Western tree, we call them the bars. And there are seven different adjustments, the length, the rock, the flare in the front, the flare in the back, the twist and the width and the angle and so on and so forth. So that, of course, created a huge demand and, and answered the calling. And that's why I said, oh, I can't make saddles in Europe and in Canada all over the world. How can I help more horses? How can I follow my calling more than these three divisions? I decided to open um, an academy. I used to travel on five different continents and taught to body workers and every equestrian lover how to become a saddle police officer. And people look at me and say, what in the world is a saddle police officer? <laughs> and got established with the German National Riding School. They said to me, you know, we need independent people, not people who, who sell or fit saddles. We need people who are schooled on the human and anatomy, human anatomy and, and horse anatomy in, in a, not the whole spectrum, but what has anything to do with horseback riding. And we need somebody who can do a static and dynamic saddle fitting. What is the difference now? Well, most people go measure the saddle, look at the saddle on the horse, and say, okay, it looks, looks like it still fits. That's static. But we wanted somebody who understands no, that horse has now a pace. No, that's a four-week canter. No, that's not a good jog. That's 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 not looking normal. So somebody who understands a little bit more about the human and the horse biomechanics. That's the saddle police officers. That was very, very hard for me to 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 see that my dream ever or my calling ever comes to fulfillment since 2000 and to think back here, 20. Just before COVID, we now made this online. So if you want to learn to become a saddle police officer, well, the USCF and other uh, big equestrian federations didn't like the title. So we changed it to equine agonomist. Equine, the horse, agonomist mm -hmm. is, if you look it up in the Wikipedia, is somebody who measures something three-dimensional. The rider's butt is three-dimensional, the horse's back is three-dimensional, and the saddle is three-dimensional. So we call it equine agonomist. And this is now also very soon taught in many different equine universities. And what makes that so special is, I call it the driver license for the horseback rider. That you know the do's and the don'ts on the saddle fitting. You can do the small course or the extended course. And you can find us there on saddlefitforlife.com. So it's saddle. Fit, and then the letter and the number four and then life all one word saddle fit for life.com and then you have Perfect. lots of different courses you can educate yourself as a veterinarian body worker saddle maker saddle fitter and that way we finally talk what i call a universal language when i That's travel when I travel the world, you know, I get by with English everywhere. I like to say as German, it would be German language, but it isn't. 
<laughs> right. When I was in the World Cup in Russia, even in Russia, you got by with English. Why can we not have a universal saddle fitting language, which is based on science and evidence based rather than on opinion? And that's saddlefitforlife.com. So if you look into that, that's how you can reach us. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. We will go ahead and put those show links um, for everyone so that they can learn more about saddle fitting. And um, Susan and I really appreciate you being here with us today um, and, you know, look forward for everyone to dive in and just listen and absorb all this wonderful information. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. With unrivaled performance and breakthrough equine technology, Exhibitor's Color Enhancing System is pH balanced, contains no harsh chemicals, bleaches, or dyes, and intensifies your horse's natural coat color, contrast, and shine. Champion dressage trainer and international Grand Prix rider Amina Said Bursas says, My favorite thing about Exhibitor's products is that they work. It's so evident that they are products for horses made by a horse company. My favorite product is Quicksilver, mostly because it has so many uses for me. I use it on the horses, my own blonde hair, and I use it to wash my white breeches. For professional show ring results, Exhibitor's formulas clean and maintain the magnificence of your show horse. Visit ExhibitorLabs.com to learn more. Raised in a horse training family in Vermont, Jack Ballou studied dressage throughout Europe and eventually settled in California. About 15 years ago, she realized most of the problems riders struggled with stemmed from their horses not using their bodies well. They lacked strength or coordination. They had muscle imbalances. They were stiff. Jack saw a need for simple tools to help horses use their bodies optimally, and so she wrote her first book in 2005, 101 Dressage Exercises for Horse and Rider, which was endorsed by the United States Dressage Federation as critical for every rider to own. Several books followed, which have been translated into foreign languages and trusted around the world for helping horses regain freedom of movement and enjoyment of exercise and strong bodies. Jack offers online courses, clinics, and customized training programs to empower riders to get their horses moving confidently and comfortably. Find out more at jackbaloo.com. Hi, Jack. Thank you for joining us today. So to start out, I uh, understand that you live in California and I used to and Raquel does currently. Where are you? Oh, OK. I didn't know that. I'm in um, Santa Cruz, so Central Coast. Beautiful area up there. My yeah. Goodness. yeah. But um, you, I understand, are just finishing up with a clinic and I would love to hear more about the clinic you had. I know you do a different, you do a number of different types of clinics, but um, maybe just give us a little recap on what you were working on. Yeah. So this time of year, um, usually in the spring, it's fun to offer clinics that, you know, I call them like a spring tune-up or, you know, gearing up for the season ahead kind of clinic because most people, I mean, even in California, it's pretty mild weather, but most people do have a period where they're not exercising their horse as much. And it is nice once the weather gets nice to be able to just hit it gung-ho. But obviously if the horse isn't prepared for that, they kind of suffer. So <laughs> 
one of the things I do um, in these early season clinics, it's really enjoyable is what I call fitness-based groundwork in the morning. It's a group session to just do some mobility drills for the horses, which is kind of mirrors what human athletes would do um, in a calisthenic way to prepare for workout. So mobilizing the joints, slow moving calisthenics, some of them involve ground poles, some not, and that that's unmounted. And then we'll move to riding exercises and I let everybody kind of choose where they're at. So it's a progressive over the day of the clinic. We start with walk and trot exercises. And then at the end of the day, we move to cantering. But I ask if people have not been riding at all, that they don't, you know, do the more ambitious stuff, you know, work, work from where they're at, but they're able to take, kind of get a baseline for where their horse is in terms of fitness and, and stiffnesses and whatever we're looking at for the season ahead. And then they're able to go home with some exercises that are really helpful for the individual horse and how to modify them and how many reps to do. And, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a really fun use of our time at all disciplines too, which is always really fun for me to work with. So for example, like how many people do you typically have in a clinic and can you give us uh, the lowdown on like you had two Western dressage and a hundred jumper? Like, um, is it yeah. Really- so usually I've been trying to steer people a little bit more towards a combination of group and uh, private work. So usually the groundwork is a group session and I, I like to max out at about 10 people for that. And then we'll break down into smaller, you know, two people sessions or even some privates for the riding work so we can get plenty of one-on-one attention. So usually there's about 10 people total in the clinics and it's almost always an even split between Western and English riders. And of those I would say a good balance of what I call, you know, people who do dressage just for just for the pleasure of it, not necessarily to be competitive. Um, And then a lot of out here, a lot of endurance riders, um, a lot of uh, kind of stock horse riders who compete in a variety of Western disciplines. And then, you know, the balance is made up of, I would say, people who just really enjoy their horse and do all kinds of things. They go to all kinds of clinics and they go horse camping and, you know, they dabble in all, all, all kinds of things. So it's usually a pretty diverse group and all kinds of breeds. I usually get several gated horses that show up as well. We've seen more and more gated horses uh, in popularity, at least on the West Coast in recent years. Would the gated horses be more for the endurance riders or? No, interestingly, it's more for um, what I see is adult amateurs who are looking for like a more comfortable ride. So maybe they've been riding for yeah. years and years, but they find their way to to gated horses, usually for kind of um, just pleasure riding, trail riding, horse camping with their friends, that kind of thing. That's really cool. Oh, okay. So speaking of dressage, I have a question. I feel like I should know the answer to this since I, um, a few months ago bought my first dressage saddle. Um, <laughs> you, okay. So I saw you studied classical dressage and you trained in Europe. So maybe you could break down for us. What does it mean to uh, classical dressage versus non-classical, or I don't know if there's a term for it, but like where I, where I'm living now, I'm not that far from uh, where the temple lipizans are. So when I think of classical dressage, I think of that, but I, but I couldn't really tell someone what classical dressage is. So maybe you could help me out. Well, yeah, it's interesting. It's a couple decades old debate at this point, whether or not there is any, I mean, dressage is dressage at its core, you know, but I think when people use the term classical dressage, it is to reference, um, the maneuvers and the exercises being done in a way that's very suited to a particular breed. So like you mentioned, the Lipizans, the Baroque, you know, I ride my, my favorite are the Andalusians, my own horses and Andalusians. So 
the where I've been in Portugal, for example, to study is um, the the style of writing emphasizes a little bit more collection. You know, the focus is a little bit more on, on the collection because that's what those horses excel at. Um, it's less the the big suspend, suspension and those sorts of powerful movements that you would school with a warm blood because they are, they're more suited to that. So that's kind of where this division has come from is a really a fine tuning of the breeding all the way around. And, um, you know, but it's not like there's a specific brand of classical versus competitive, but I think people use those terms to sort of say, well, I'm in this camp that doesn't, maybe I show sometimes for fun, but it's not my main focus because I ride a Morgan or a quarter horse or whatever. And, and so I drum, drum more to the classical dressage and, and many of the people getting involved with Western dressage, I hear them say that as well. Like, um, oh yeah, I identify more with the classical versus the competitive because they just don't feel like their horse will ever move like the spring loaded, extended trotting Dutch warm blood. And, and they probably won't. They're just not bred for it. They, they don't have the right parts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have one of your books. I know you've written several of them and they've been translated to other languages. And um, I wanted to ask you a really specific question. I do have an agenda because I have a horse with kissing spine. And I was going through um, 55 corrective exercises with horses and I saw exercise number five, which is called backing up with good form. And what was interesting to me is my veterinarian who has kind of a performance, uh, I guess you could say flavor to her practice, has had me recently backing my horse up 10 steps. Um, And so I was like, oh, I'm kind of doing that. But in your exercise, it says 30 steps. So I was wondering, I have like a few very specific questions about this. So Is this the type of exercise, so I don't know if Raquel backs her horse up, but let's say she was starting with this exercise number five. Um, Could you go for 30 steps all at once? Or is it something like when we humans exercise, you only want to do a few to start with until you kind of get stronger and get the feel of how it's supposed to be? No, that's a great question. And that's the hard part about writing these exercises. Exercise books is I try to aim you know, generally for the exercise prescriptions, but obviously they do need to be modified for every individual horse. And what is most important about backing is that it's happening with good form. So if your horse is just starting out with backing up, probably you're going to get, you know, maybe even six steps with good form before it falls apart. And you would stop there and maybe walk forward and reset and try it again or just call that good. What matters is the consistency. So actually I'd rather people do 10 steps every single day then do like 30 steps once a week, to be honest. It's the consistency that matters. And it is the form, particularly the straightness. Because when horses are new to this exercise, generally two things go wrong. One is they'll shift their hips off to one side and get really mm-hmm. crooked with their butt, you know, falling off the train track, so to speak. or And or their neck will go up in the air like a llama you know, they'll just kind of get resistant. And that's where generally they hold their resistance is they'll tighten their neck. So, and neither of those things is helping you benefit from the exercise at that point. What my horse was doing. Oh, so go ahead, Raquel. No, I was going to say, um, when you asked if, if I back up and I back Fira, I mean, occasionally we back up a few steps, but, um, the time that, uh, we definitely do the most backing, um, and, Obviously, I'm very familiar with that crooked backing is if 
we're going to load in the trailer and someone decides that they don't want to load in the trailer. So we have to back up and, you know, then she starts to get the crooked, you know, because my method of getting her to load is, you know, we back up. And then when we're ready to go forward, we get in the trailer. Um, but I'm very familiar with that crooked backing because we'll start <laughs> yes. backing a bunch of steps and it starts off nice and straight. And then the more we keep going, it just kind of, <laughs> loses uh its form so i i know exactly yes. what you're talking about yeah yeah i'm i'm curious did your i'm sorry you said your your trainer or your vet recommended the 10 steps is that of backing is that before you get on uh that is my veterinarian and yes i'm also curious i took the notes i think it was after i ride it's when i'm done riding oh, but after. I, okay. I'm, I'm wondering if it would be good because, you know, I'm thinking about um, what you're saying and what you, you know, promote in your books makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, if I I do spin, you know, and before and after I get on the bike, it's good for me to stretch. So it would seem like as riders, we should really be stretching and doing mobility things with our horses. And I don't know that a lot of people do necessarily. So um, in the book, right. I mean, like, do you recommend, I'm going to do what my vet said, but like in general, yeah. for people yeah. that are trying this exercise at home, would this be um, pre or post ride? I generally find that people, people are better about doing it before the ride. So I usually tell them to do it then because I find that otherwise it tends to not happen. It's physical benefit for the horse. I think it's you know, to be honest, depending on each individual horse, it can be equally beneficial. A lot of times with the kissing spine horses, it kind of depends where their problem area is, you know, which of the vertebrae are involved. And um, it might help to have the lower back muscles warmed up. Like you just might get more range of motion out of it. Um, yeah, it just sort of, it depends a little bit, but I generally tell people to do it beforehand because otherwise I feel like they get off doing more interesting things like riding and then, and then they, they skip it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. So also, um, so are there one or two simple exercises besides backing up with good form that people could incorporate into their overall routine with their horse that would really help them? Well, um, again, I, I like really simple things and backing up is a very simple, um, non, you don't need any special equipment. And another one that falls in that category, unless the horse has, um, like a navicular situation or is newly healing from like a suspensory injury or something like that. But, but assuming that nothing's wrong in the lower structures, uh, turn on the forehands are so good. And I don't really care if people do them unmounted or mounted, but in terms of, developing symmetry and how the horse uses its hind legs and and uh, applying positive traction to that hindquarter fascia that weaves together all those big muscles that we're always trying to help the horse use better crossing the hind legs over in a nice rhythmic but relaxed range of motion is incredibly beneficial and you know low impact and so um, again, whether it's on the ground or under saddle, I try to do a couple, two or three of those a day. And depending on your horse, if they're new to it, just do a half turn, do a 180 degree turn. You don't have to spin them all the way around in a circle. If, if their head is going up in the air or they're, you know, falling over sideways and all the things that can happen. What matters is that good range of motion and, and the consistency, having a couple of these little things that you do, you know, three, five times a week, that's, that's what really matters because horses are good about doing it on their own. We're even worse, <laughs> but horses right. are not good about doing it on their own. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
back to your writing career. Um, are you, so your most recent book is the 55 corrective exercises. Is that correct? Yeah. So that came out in 2018. That one was with Trafalgar Square and I'm really excited. I'm just finishing another one for Trafalgar Square. It'll be out, you know, it kind of takes a while to get these books out, but it'll be out either by the end of this year or next spring. And what I'm most excited about is this one that's coming out is complete workouts for horses. Um, So it tells people kind of how, because the exercises, I think they're great and they help horses a ton, but, but many times I hear from students that are like, well, kind of like what you already referenced. Well, like how long should I do this exercise for my particular horse? And how do I put this exercise together with another exercise or, or is this the only one I should do? You know, for example, so the book that's coming out will have, uh, tell you like, this is the kind of warm up you want to do if you're going to do this kind of an exercise uh, workout. And it gives you the workout for how long to do each thing. And, you know, obviously if you have a coach, you can really fine tune the time prescriptions, but even, you know, if you're working on your own and, and plenty of people are in this country, it's so vast, you know, it really gives you help in terms of um, structuring the horse's sessions. Because, you know, as you've probably heard me say, I am such a believer in, first of all, developing functional movement for the horse, but to keep the movement functional, same as I know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned spin class, because the same as with humans, if horses don't go out sometimes and work at a pretty hard effort, you know, appropriate for their level, they actually weaken their neuromuscular connections. They need that harder stimulus to keep the proprioception level really high, to keep all of that good communication between the nervous system and the muscle function, because otherwise it, the body's really efficient and it just diminishes over time. You can actually lose fitness, even though you're still sort of exercising. Humans are the same, right? So I think this exercise will help people kind of um, do more of that. And, and so I'm excited about that. And if people have not had a chance to read your books, uh, what I really like about them is there's lots of pictures and (laughs) um, not to be shallow, but like, that's really helpful to be able to see just like, you know, when you have a cookbook that it shows, this is what it's supposed to look like. So um, that's really, uh, you know, it's not theory. It's very practical. Um, So yeah. yeah. Do you have a title for that book yet? Uh, yeah, strength and fitness workouts for horses. Oh, that's excellent. the working title. So, I, and I don't imagine it'll change too much. Yeah. So, and that one was, is with Trafalgar Square as well. Exciting, exciting. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of work to write a book, but it's very gratifying when I hear from people, you know, that it helps their horse, or you know, they've used it in a rehab program or something. It's just so satisfying. That's great. And then where can people find you online and check out your clinic schedule and uh, maybe even, you know, figure out other ways that they could work with you or gain from the knowledge that you have? Uh, well, my website is probably the best place and that's jackballoo.com. And I do try to keep the event calendar up to date there. I'm, I'm doing a better job this year. And I'm also excited to be offering, as I mentioned, custom fitness plans for for horses. And it's been um, it's wonderful. And there's information on, on the website about that. And then mostly I'm on Facebook. I post a lot of free, you know, articles and, and, uh, fitness research that I come across that I think is useful for people there. So definitely check out those places. I'm trying to get better about Instagram, but I think I need a young person. <laughs> I think I need a young person to come help me, but <laughs> so. Oh, well, it's been so wonderful to talk to you and I feel smarter. <laughs> and uh inspired to uh, do some more exercises with my horse night. 
Oh, um, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope your listeners find this useful and hope we will chat again soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, take care. Bye. Bath time is never complete without Mane and Tail's Ultimate Gloss Shampoo and Conditioner. This revolutionary formula is designed to get even the teeniest particles of dirt and dander out of the skin and hair, keeping it clean longer without stripping the coat of its natural oils. With its pH balance formula and natural ingredients, this must-have shampoo and conditioner works like a dream to deep clean and remove dirt, dried sweat, and salty layers while moisturizing the coat, mane, and tail to prevent breakage. Ultimate Gloss also contains protein and natural oils like coconut and avocado oil that help strengthen, volumize, and moisturize, providing a high shine, show-ready finish. Ultimate Gloss is saddle safe, so if you bathe your horse before you ride, your saddle will not slip. Unlock new levels of high shine and gloss and discover the secret by visiting ultimategloss.com or visit a tax store near you. The ASPCA's Right Horse Program brings us this month's adoptable horse, 21 Lauren Bird, lovingly known as Lauren. Today we are chatting with Kate Olson, the Program Coordinator of Second Stride in Crestwood, Kentucky. Hi, Kate. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about this month's adoptable horse, Lauren. Well, Lauren is a two-year-old filly. She never raced. We broke her uh, this fall, this past fall. She did really well. Um, she didn't go to the racetrack due to confirmation reasons, so nothing wrong with her at all. Um, she has pretty clean legs or just a little bit crooked, but other than that, no issues. Um, she is a really nice filly. Um, she's loving, she's confident, she's brave. Um, she's a sturdy leader of the pack and she really loves to kind of corral her pasture mates. So if you're trying to catch one, she'll kind of herd them off in another direction. Um, so we think she'd really like to be a ranch horse. Right mm. now, she's going to have to stay on the flat till she's full grown just to let um, the way her legs are you know, fully form and develop. Um, she could possibly do something a little more athletic in the future, but she really seems to love, um, we've had her around cows and she didn't balk at the cows. She, so we think she'd like to do some Western type of stuff, ranch work. Um, she will need an experienced adopter, someone who is confident in um, animal behavior, and um, someone who can help her lovingly set boundaries. Um, she can be a little difficult to handle at times. She's not being mean. She's just very pushy. And she, she just needs an education, a loving education on what's proper and what's not proper. Um, but once you work through that with her, we think she's really going to be an excellent partner. Right. And she's so young. So she has her whole future ahead of her. Yes, for sure. I and saw a video of her and she looked really cute. Just, she it looked is. as if she was, uh, someone was riding her on a little bit of a loopy rain and she just uh -huh. was trucking along like no big uh -huh. deal. 
Yeah, she really likes to be out and about and going through the trails. She doesn't mind puddles. She doesn't mind trees, branches in her face. She's super brave. Um, and she's got that white eye. So she always looks like she's giving you the side eye. <laughs> but she's a beautiful filly. She's going to grow to be a beautiful mare. She's got that dark bay coat. And um, I assume she's breedable, you know, um, if someone would ever want to breed her in the future. But um yeah, she's she's really nice. She just needs some help with boundaries. Yes. Well, most young horses do, right? Right. Yeah, no, she's beautiful. Well, tell um us, we're gonna put the link in the show notes, but if someone wants to um come adopt her, how do they apply or how do they um, you know, come meet her? What's that process like on your end? So our website is secondstride.org. And you can click on um, adoptable horses and look for her ad. And at the bottom of the page, you'll find the link to the application. There's also a link to the application on our homepage. Just fill that out and we'll get, we'll contact your references and get back to the people in a day or two. And at that point, they can come out to the farm and see her. Or if they're not able to travel to Kentucky, we can always do it over the phone. Yeah, that's great. But ho- hopefully they can come meet her because I'm sure you meet her and, you know, you fall in love and get to see that personality, right? You do. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. And um, we hope that Lauren finds a loving new home. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Bye. Uh, bye. bye. Thanks for listening to our show. We want to hear from you. What topics are you interested in? You can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Saddle Seeks Horse. And Raquel is on both Facebook and Instagram too at Horses and Heels with a little underscore at the end. Don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you enjoy Barn Banter, please subscribe leave us a review, and tell your friends so more horse lovers can find us. See you next month. Horse Illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com. For special subscription discounts on Horse Illustrated and Young Rider, just for podcast listeners, visit horseillustrated.com slash podcasts.